forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate. And I only feel comfortable driving SUVs because when I drive um, a sedan, I can't really see out the back. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I love to see out the back, baby. Oh, my God. Well, that's the show. <laughs> Tune back in next week. And <laughs> ah, I just want to say one thing first. All right. Hit me. Our TikTok's doing well. It's doing pretty well, yeah. It's exciting to be making more content again. I know, and the people uh, seem to really like it. I think I've been making a lot of content over the years, but it's been a lot of like mental health content, and mm -hmm. I'm still loving making that, but doing more like comedy content, I feel like renewed. I feel like back to my roots, baby. Oh, yeah. Also, you're, can I say, very good at trolling. <laughs> like a lot of your TikToks, like we share the account, which is just between us pod. And we like make our posts together there. We also make our own posts there. And m a large part of your individual posts have been just trolling. Yeah, I love to troll. But I like I had tried to troll in a really responsible way <laughs> where I'm not like 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 I'm just goofing where it's not like fuck this person or like whatever. Yeah. Like I'm trying to like make a silly point, but um, also have a laugh. Yeah. If you haven't checked out Allison's response to where have you guys been, um, it made me laugh so hard. Uh, and also, like, I like having fake beefs with you on there. I like the idea that maybe we only communicate through TikToking to each other. Yeah. We are communicating more now that we're making more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's fun as friends is just communicating. I guess I can't recommend it enough. If you have friends, but you don't like communicate with them, highly recommend. But we don't like communicate. It's still, I don't know. It's like you went through our text messages. I'd say that it's mostly business related or I send you a funny meme. Or a meme or like, or it's like a dire emergency for like one person or the other person. But we're not yet like, like just having like friend texts as much. No, it's been a lot of work, honestly. Yeah. I like, I feel like my whole life is just now like a lot of work and that's it. And I feel bad because when my parents call, they're like, what's going on with you? And then I'm like, what am I going to do? Just bore them with work talk. But you know, what's great about my parents is they're not really asking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. We've got a very good show for everyone this week. But also, here's a reminder to check out our TikTok, which we kind of subtly did before. But also, yeah. we're having full episodes of these podcasts on YouTube. So if you're listening and you're saying, I wonder how much Allison rolled her eyes at what Gabby just said. Sure, of course. You can now have video footage of that. Yeah. During the interview portion of this show, I think I get coffee in my eye. Oh, that's true. That's a highlight. Go check that yeah, out. Yeah. So if you're interested, I mean, look, this is the type of, okay, let me tell you something. I, try <laughs> I, I, write in if you agree. I told Allison, we should wear silly costumes so that people are incentivized to watch the YouTube show. So like, if you're listening, you don't know what sort of like silly hat or costume we're wearing. And you only know if you check out the video. I hate costumes. 
You but know like, that about me. But like, would you wear like a, a hat and then we, we don't say what the hat is. And then when people come, they can like be like, oh, I want to look at the YouTube video because like maybe Gabby's dressed as a zebra and Allison's wearing a beret. <laughs> <laughs> this is the type of marketing that I'm thinking of. Look, at this point, I'm not saying no to anything right off the bat. I'll entertain pretty much any idea to get our numbers up. Or like one episode, we wear the exact same outfit. Like we wear like onesies that we both have. And then like we don't we say like we're wearing something matching. Like if you're a true fan, comment on the Instagram or TikTok and say what what we're wearing. Okay, I'm my OCD brain is going, but how I'll have washed the onesie before. Where will I put the onesie on? Like I have some issues with the outfits, but I I will do it for the show. It's your own onesie. We're wearing matching onesies. And and I can have washed both of ours. Both of ours? (laughs) When you get new clothes, you should wash them. Yeah, I don't do that. Don't tell me that. If it's from a thrift store, I do. But if it's from like Nordstrom's, I don't. You got it. I didn't used to. And now I do because I've heard too many things. Things. Anyway, I I apologize for everyone who I just added a compulsion for. And I'm also getting a lot of new clothes because I'm getting I'm getting rid of my hoochie shorts and I'm getting boy shorts. And I went and got my parents got me. a Okay, wait, my parents got me a gift card to Nordstrom so I could get all new pants because I'm like dressed. I'm transmasculine. Big shocker to anyone who's new here. And so I got a bunch of men's pants. And I didn't realize I hadn't opened it since my birthday, right? So my birthday was June 1st. I hadn't opened the gift card. I opened the gift card in the line at Nordstrom's in front of the woman. And they, my parents have chosen to, you can put a photo on the gift card. And my parents have chosen to make the photo on the gift card just a close-up of their two faces. <laughs> so I open it in front of the Nordstrom woman. And it's like this like fake digital gift card. And it's just my parents like, zoomed in like this a picture of them together and I said it's my birthday present I was like why didn't you put a picture of me well they really wanted you to know who it came from so then I opened it and the Nordstrom woman was like laughing and I was like it's a it's a gift card from my parents and she was like yeah I could see that Uh, well, if you want to send us a gift card or leave us an Amazon <laughs> review with your face on it, we would highly appreciate it. Apple reviews, please leave five star Apple reviews. I'll read one at the end. How about? Ooh, enticing. OK, great episode this week. We are talking to Katie Roberts all about her journey with sexual repression and finding her own sexuality in her 30s. She's the host of a popular podcast called Clit Talk. And later you do some of this. So oh, do some of the parts. I was I was letting you go. <laughs> and later we're going to be discussing Brittany Griner and the situation um, of her being stuck in Russia for no reason. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means. Hit it. You you said do some of it. Wow. I feel like you just gave like that. You just like stripped all my clothes off and left me naked in a field. Why would I leave if you were naked? Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't even make any goddamn sense. Hit it. International question. International question. International question. Anonymous in California. We're in California. Maybe I sent this. I did. California. Yay. I didn't send this. I should do that, though. That should that's so old school of me making up the advice questions that one week I should just send one that's clearly from me. Do you remember one time in a very beginning of our YouTube channel, you made up an advice question, but you made it be from like Dave. And then for the location, you said the Staples Center. <laughs> yeah, <that was laughs> Like funny. the basketball 
stadium in Los Angeles, which was just a bold lie. Oh, we had fun. All right. <laughs> Anonymous says, Dear Allison and Gabby, trigger warning, self-harm. Hello. First, I wanted to say that I really look up to you two and think you are awesome. Your content has helped me so much, and I can't thank you enough for everything you've done. As a bisexual person with OCD, I can't say enough how appreciative I am for you all. I'd like to remain anonymous if that's okay. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm from Northern California. Here is the situation. I've been struggling with OCD for a while now, more specifically, moral scrupulosity OCD. I'm not religious, and it's hard for me to find resources about it not linked to religion. I'm a very liberal person. My OCD knows what stuff is important to me. It latches onto that stuff intensely, trying to make me constantly question my judgment, ruminate over if I've said or done the right thing, undermine my beliefs, and more. It tells me that I, A, can't make any moral mistakes, or B, if I do, I have to fix it perfectly. It makes it really hard for me to forgive myself and move on, as I often feel extremely guilty, especially because it's hard for me to see what others say are irrational thoughts as irrational. With this guilt, I feel the need sometimes to punish myself in some way, and I want to turn to self-harm. I've experimented with it in the past once and haven't done it again because the worry and concern that my family expressed was too much and I don't want to let them down. How do I move on from my mistakes? Does acknowledging that it's okay not to be perfect imply that I don't care enough about these issues? If so, I'm sorry. How do I cope with my guilt without wanting to hurt myself? I'm sorry if this is confusing. Thank you for taking the time to read this. I greatly appreciate it. Anonymous. Even the part where you said, is it okay not to be perfect? If so, I am sorry. Oh, girl. So we should probably explain moral scrupulosity OCD. Yeah, I was going to say, Allison, take it away. Well, so moral scrupulosity OCD is like she was speaking to like an obsession with being morally correct. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to do anything bad. And obviously it can be for different reasons. You know, sometimes I think it can be because like you're afraid that God will be mad at you. But I think this person said that like they're not religious. So it can also just be like this obsession with being morally good, which I relate to in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been very like fixated on if I'm a good person. Mm -hmm. You knew that? What? Yes. <laughs> can I say, I you you are very concerned about being a good person in ways that like, are surprising to me sometimes. Like you made a joke on our TikTok about being abducted by aliens. And then you said, am I allowed to post this? I, what if I offend people who have been abducted by aliens? And like, it wouldn't offend them, I'm sure. But also what? No, that that's more fears of like, I have such a deep rooted fear of being in trouble on the internet. Of saying sure. something that people get mad at me about. So I don't know if that was like me actually genuinely being worried about offending people who have been abducted by aliens so much as like people telling me that I'm offending people who are abducted by aliens and then me being quote unquote in trouble. But, but not just being in trouble, but why? Because people will think you're like a bad person. Yes, I don't want anyone to think I'm a bad exactly. person. Exactly. Except I'm okay with people I have political disagreements with thinking I'm a bad person. Like if I think somebody is a trash person, I don't care if they think I'm a bad person. Right, right, right. And that makes sense. So right. that's a cool loophole. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like I've had such exposure therapy with this where like I have had so many instances where people who I politically align with or people that I respect and admire have been like, no, Gabby's trash. And that I've just had to like over time, like I remember in the very beginning of my career, I used to just cry all the time about that kind of thing. And I used and I still, you know, I still like get very emotional about it. And it is tough sometimes for me to let it go where like, 
I'll like meet someone and they'll be like, oh my God, you have to get to know this person. They're amazing. They're queer, like blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, oh, they've actually like openly on the internet said that I suck. So, and they'll be like, what? That's like the nicest person. Like they're like so great. And I'm working with them on this thing. And I'll be like, yeah, I don't know. They by name don't like me. And like, that's just, I just have to be like, okay. And that's because that person thinks for some reason that I'm a bad person because of an opinion I had or because I said something, you know, eight years ago or whatever it is. And so there are like people that I think are good people that I think are like morally like we're aligned, but they just are like fuck off to me in particular. And so that's been that's like I feel like I was like this. And then I've just slowly had to like stop because people uh, don't like me so vocally. (laughs) You know, like I just have to like even on our TikTok, like people are there's some people that are it's so indicative. Like some people are like, oh, yes, Gabby's like totally right. This is totally great. And I get it. And then there's other people that are like, no, this is awful. And one thing that I think about this, this uh, listener who wrote in is that there is no Other than like, don't like murder, although even that I think could be, I could be convinced. There's no like one moral set that everyone has. And so even the, the, the people that you want to be completely aligned with, it's never going to happen. Like everyone is going to have different ideas of what the like moral, most morally superior thing is. Yes, that touches on something that's helped me a lot with like my struggle to like, quote unquote, be a good person is that I had to realize that I have to create what that means for myself. Exactly. You're never going to live up to someone else's standards. Right. And and so my advice here would be to not have it be like this like grand idea of like good versus bad, but more like what are your values? What are the way that you want to live your life? And then and then try to do that to the best of your ability But also like the component that really helps me is like, I don't become a better person by shitting on myself. I don't become Mm. a better person by punishing myself or hating myself. I've been able to be someone that I like by nurturing myself and by treating myself with with compassion. Yeah. And so sort of seeing it like as when you want to hurt yourself or when you want to punish yourself, do you want to be somebody who's a punisher? Right, right. right. Like, do you want to be somebody who's cruel, even if the person you're cruel to is yourself? Is yourself. Right. So instead, like maybe if, if, if being morally kind is important to you, why wouldn't that kindness extend to yourself? Yeah. And if you if you are someone who if someone made a mistake, you would say, yeah, that's like a mistake. And, and I'm not like a, a person who would make that person feel awful for that mistake. Then extend that to yourself. And realize that like every time that you do that, you're it's that same thing of like you put your oxygen mask on first that you can help other people. Like every time you tear yourself down, you're you're not helping the greater good. (laughs) Here's the here's the thing, though. She's not saying that she is trying to like get along with or she's she's not saying that she's trying to fit into something she doesn't believe. This is something that I deal with and, and it's much harder to know that you believe this thing, know that it is right and know that, you know, this is a a value that you have. And then also knowing that there that there are there isn't a lot of compassion from other people towards you making a mistake. Like 
there we don't currently have a situation, especially among I well among among anyone who is very intense about their beliefs. So among Republicans and among you know leftists alike, uh, where there's not really a lot of room for like for like cause. We talked about this another show unintentional harm or like or like deviating from the script in any way. And so it you know if you believe in this very black and white morality, which I think that right now in our society is very praised and very, very like intensely doled out, then you will be there. There there won't be a lot of room for empathy for yourself. Like, I think like if you were like, oh, I had this this bad thought or like how you were talking about, you know, oh, I believe this thing. And, and you know, these right wingers are pissed at me about it. It's much harder when you fuck up and you believe this thing and you know that the people that share your values will not accept that you've made a mistake. That's sadder to me. And so I think that that's why sometimes people are very hard on themselves because they're like, no, I, I do agree. And maybe I said this thing incorrectly or maybe I wasn't as eloquent or, you know, maybe I wasn't as informed or something. And so then you beat yourself up about it because it is people that you respect and admire because it is from from people that you align with and agree with and want and want to be in community with. And so I think modeling that towards yourself will hopefully create more of a model for that for other people. Like, I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of there's like not room for mistakes in. in and so that creates situations where people themselves don't make make room for mistakes. Like I saw like talking about self-harm. OK, so Constance Wu has not been on social media for like two years and like took a break from acting. And she just posted this really long thing where she was like, so this is where where I've been. I made uh, an offhand remark uh, about not being pleased that Fresh Off the Boat was renewed. And that went very viral. And everyone was saying that I was being a brat, that I was being entitled, that I was like a shitty person. And she said she's Asian American. And she said the Asian American community specifically came after her for being like, for not being grateful for her opportunities, whatever it was, too big for her britches. And so she said in this post that these um, other Asian American actors were like coming for her, people she respected, people she admired. And so she attempted suicide and uh, she was found and she was brought to the hospital and they saved her. And then she stopped acting for a while and stopped and, and completely deleted social media. And then she came back recently to talk about like, I just want to let you guys know that that this is what happened. I made a mistake and not not people from the other side, but people in my own community were not compassionate or forgiving. And I tried to kill myself. And I was like, and so that's what this makes me think of is that like, it's so much more emotional when you were are like, oh my God, I did not do something that I deem morally good that I doesn't align with my values. She said that like all these Asian actors were telling her, you don't represent us. You don't belong to our group anymore. Go fuck yourself. Like, you know, you, you are a blight on the Asian community. And so she was like, okay, I am. And like, I just, I think that that sort of morality and that sort of like, it lends itself to people feeling the way that this listener feels it like, of course you feel this way. 
Like that's the that's the society that we we have right now. We're like we're like that. You know, there isn't a lot of compassion for making mistakes. So I feel like this fear is like pretty valid. Yeah, and I think it just like comes back to so like, what do you want to do with that? Like, let's say you do make that mistake, and and then I think it's it's that decision to, you know, not again like choosing the path of of kindness because exactly. choosing the path of forgiveness to yourself to you yourself can't control because others. that's the kind of person that you want to be, right? Like, yep. do you want to be a person who's able to recognize we all make mistakes? Everyone I know and respect has made a mistake. All I can do is take ownership of my mistake and try to do better next time. I mean, that's something I focus on all the time. It's mm-hmm. like, I know I'm going to fuck up. I just want to try not to fuck up in the exact same way. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Like, mistakes will keep happening. All I can do is try to not keep making the same one. <laughs> yes. And I, another thing that I talk about all the time is like changing my self identity into somebody who makes mistakes rather than just a perfect person. Right. Because totally. if I'm somebody who makes mistakes, then when I inevitably make a mistake, it's not that big of a deal because I was expecting to. Yeah. Versus if I held myself to this like um impossible standard, which it sounds like you probably do or in your OCD is making you do, then when you do slip up, it's like earth shattering. Yes. So I would really work on your relationship, both of uh, your idea of who you are and the idea of who you are as being someone who makes mistakes and that's human that connects you to humanity that makes you the same as everyone around you and there's power in that mm-hmm. and then also how do you want to choose to handle that moment mm-hmm. you know do you want to lead with kindness which i'm suspecting you probably do and then extending that kindness to yourself yeah because you it comes down to it you can't control other people well I, this person's issue is in other people i know so i'm saying like you know but i think like the self-judgment comes from outside judgment. And so I think like if you... I actually don't think that's true with, with OCD and this kind of thing, but um, but how I does think she, it's true for a lot of people. But how does she know what moral stuff, you know, like she's taking cues from what she believes. And I think that's true. I think you can only forgive your... You can only like work on it, work on it internally. I think what you're saying is correct. Yeah. Yeah, But also like and have compassion just even around the fact that you're struggling with this because OCD is a, a bitch of a thing. And another big thing that we talk about all the time is your relationship to these things can change. So this, the hold that your OCD has over you right now isn't going to be the hold it has over you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that you can work with it. You can adapt to it. Like implementing these small changes might really help. And so if you're feeling like crushed down under the weight of it all, know that like you can fight back. Mm-hmm. We hope that that was helpful. If you want to submit an international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Katie Roberts. Stay tuned. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. 
Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself, but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before. So I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. This week on the show, our guest is Katie Roberts, the creator, executive producer, and host of the top-rated sexuality podcast, Clit Talk. As a mom of a two-year-old and another in the near future, she's passionate to teach parents how they can still have their life revolve around their pleasure. And also just in general, pleasure seekers on the on the pod and on the Internet. Uh, hello. Congrats on being pregnant. Hi. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're having a little girl. Oh, uh, yay. When? Uh, at October 22nd. Oh, cool. so exciting. How have you been feeling? Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sick during my entire pregnancy, like my mom. So yeah, fine. <laughs> IVs. Oh, yeah, but you're not on bed rest, at least not, not yet. N- no, I've never been on bed rest. So hopefully not. But you know, wouldn't be the end of the world, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to really talk to you because your journey of kind of like sexual liberation is so interesting and inspiring because you grew up really religious, right? And so for you, it was really uncomfortable for you to even talk about sex. Yeah, no one that I grew up with ever talked about sex. And really until I started, I went to Sugar's Bachelorette Party, who's one of the other hosts on Clit Talk, and she got a book called Pussy Reclamation by Regina Thomashauer. And it completely changed my life. We started a book club reading that book after that weekend. And it was the first time I ever talked to anyone about sex openly, really. And then I really got present to the repression that I was completely unaware of, by the way, beforehand, uh, that was definitely stemmed from my upbringing and also lack of sex education. I think that is rampant, especially in our country. I mean, only 16 states in the United States require medically accurate sex education. Um, So that's why I'm currently getting, so I'm a registered nurse and I'm currently getting certified as a sex educator. So yeah, it's mostly abstinence only training, which actually statistically increases the rate of pregnancy. So can we start at the beginning? Like, where did you grow up and what was the religion and and what was the sex education? So I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio. It's actually Medina, Ohio. It's a small like country town outside of the city. 
And I was very active in our church. I actually loved being a part of it. I was in choir. I was a liturgical dancer. Like Our producer was a liturgical dancer. <laughs> <laughs> I brought up baby Jesus every Christmas. It was wow. like a, a really fun part of my life fun part of my life. Um, so I didn't really have any negative experiences with it that I was aware of growing up. So it was actually really hard for me to come to grips when I was like starting to notice where these conversations were coming from of being in, basically being in touch with your body is, is sinful mm-hmm. and that you can go to hell. And like, I just, I never really thought about it before then, you know? So it definitely impacted, I think, my ability to be curious about sex and ask questions I, because I, I didn't ask any. Yeah. And I think my mom tried to sit me down once and I was just like, oh, no, like <laughs> we don't talk about this, <laughs> you know, and that was kind of the end of it. And when I needed birth control, I did ask for it. And it was just really hush hush, like we had to keep it a secret. And, you know, I talk about the implicit, because no one was ever like, sex is bad, Mm -hmm. like don't have sex. But there were all these implicit messaging, I think from a really early age. And I think it comes from a lack of sex education across the board where parents aren't comfortable with their bodies enough to even really communicate to their kids healthy sex education and healthy relationships with your body and the freedom to explore, the freedom to ask questions. And that's definitely what I think impacted me the most is that I just wasn't in a in an environment that stimulated the need to ask anything. I just kind of did what I thought I was supposed to do. And I kind of let the men take the lead because I was like, sex is for the man's pleasure only. Right. You know, I didn't really even know that there was pleasure in it for me in the way that I know now. So it was always very confusing. And it really led me to not express any agency over my body as like an explorative teen. And it really wasn't until I was an adult. And I'm I've been with my husband now for 13 years. We've been we just had our eight year anniversary. And it really wasn't into our third year of our marriage where I really started to identify, oh, emotional intimacy is really difficult for me. Why is that? And we had a guest on our show. She was talking about that. And the way that she described it, I was like, oh, that's me. And she was like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, she's like, oh. And then she got really serious. And she was like, there must be some sort of like trauma there, like undealt trauma. And I was like, I listened to myself in the interview because it didn't hit me until the second time she came on our show and I was re-listening to the episode and I was driving and it hit me like a ton of bricks that I had actually been allowed myself to be sexually abused in a way by a boyfriend in high school for years and didn't even really recognize it until I was literally in the second round of this episode with this woman. And I actually haven't talked about this on any other podcast. So I'm kind of piecing it together. But it was, I called some of my girlfriends from high school, which I called at the beginning of starting Clit Talk podcast, and they still didn't want to talk about sex. Like it wasn't, and and they were having similar struggles in their marriages and their relationships. And some of them weren't, but some of them were, and they didn't want to talk about it. So, and they didn't want to take any action towards really finding a solution. And I am just I've basically nerded out on sex and really 
dis- worked on dismantling my shame that I didn't honestly even know was there. I just didn't really enjoy sex. I, I struggle with low libido, mm-hmm. but this all stems from all these instances that happened to me. And none of it was like violent or, you know, really terrible because I was like, nothing has happened to me like that. But all these like nuanced things where I didn't give permission and where things were taken from me in a way that I didn't have the language or the education to really protect myself. So, yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't I don't want to say anything about your story, but I think saying that you allowed yourself to be abused is I would hope like you know, obviously, that that kind of thing is very much not your fault. I don't blame myself. Yeah. I do wish that I had the education so that I That's just would have problem. had some sort of to be able to identify it so that I could have speak up because I'm someone who would have spoken up. Right. If I would have had just the conversation mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, I think that's why there's been a lot more sexual sex education, at least focus on consent. And I was going to ask what it was like for you to start dating, because if you don't have that knowledge, if you don't have any sort of education and you mentioned briefly, like the men just took the lead and you what when you started dating, what was your idea of relationships? That's a good question. Well, my idea of relationships. So, I mean, looking back, I've always been in long term serious monogamous relationship. So if I decided to be with someone, like I was all in, you know, like we were all in and there was never any sort of straying that would be possible. And if that was, if that was something that came up, like I was starting to be interested in other people, I would immediately be like, this isn't, I can't be honest. I can't be fully 100% in here anymore. So it was always very, and I, and I always thought that I was receiving the same. So I think it was a lot of I was very naive, you know, because I was so trusting and so innocent, you know, to what else could, how relationships could actually go. So, but I was always in a long-term relationship and I would stay in them and make them work no matter how ugly it got. I was like, oh, because this is how relationships are. Right. So I put up with a lot of stuff that I think that, well, I certainly now do not, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, obviously you you had sex before marriage and what were your thoughts around that kind of being raised in a religious household and having these feelings that sex was shameful? Was there a time where you thought you wouldn't have sex until you got married or what did that look like? There was never a time. I was a very highly sexual individual when I was in high school. So and sex was I was never going to wait until marriage and I knew that. And none of my friends were, but I definitely was going to wait longer than I, uh, than I did. And I, cause I really wanted it to be special. And I think we all grow up. I mean, I'm a Gen X I grew up with Disney. <laughs> There's like this fairy tale and supposed to be a certain way. And, and it didn't go that way. And when it didn't go that way, I think it really changed things for me as far as me being comfortable in that sexual space where I was like, oh, now I've had sex. Now I, now I give it when it's, when it's wanted, right? whether I want to or not. Because that's part of a relationship and you just have to do this thing that you don't necessarily like doing or have any sort of idea of your own, like likes and dislikes and pleasure. You're just like, this is the, the rote sort of part of the relationship, which I've heard from a lot of people actually. 
Yeah. And that's exactly it. And the only the only concern that I had is I didn't want to get pregnant. That was like the only the only thing that my mom had always talked to me about is just don't get pregnant because I was an aunt since I've been an aunt since I was three and a half years old. I just had seen what life looks like then. And, it, you know, up until my adulthood and I'm, I'm pregnant again for the second time, but it took me really doing Clit Talk podcasts and dismantling and really getting in touch with my body and my sexuality and being comfortable talking about it. That's when I was really like, because I was never going to have kids. I never wanted, my husband married me knowing that I may never want kids. And then it was like a switch went off. I'm like, oh, this is something that I really actually want. But there was all this programming of like, that I had seen that I interpreted, right? That kids ruin your life. Like if you want to have any sort of career. And I was working in, I work in television. And it's funny because I feel, I was talking to someone about this last night at dinner, another mom who's very career driven. Like I was on set 14 hours a day, five days a week, six days a week, just acting and also working as a medical tech advisor, traveling all around the country for 10 years. And then I was writing and pitching my stuff and auditioning. And, and since I have become a mom, I really went through some identity crisis in a way where I had to really choose what path I wanted to take. And I don't want to be away from my kids. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miss their childhood. So in a way, like this fear of that kids ruin your life, which is the narrative that I had before really having a lot of conversations with my husband about what I wanted it to look like and the para- my, my what we call in Clit Talk is the like pleasure parameters, basically setting boundaries around what that will look like and what I'm willing and not willing to have as far as our structure of how things work in our house and with my work, since it's all creative. But there was that that narrative that I couldn't do it. And now I don't even care, you know, <laughs> like that actually, that actually did happen. <laughs> but like, it's all working out for the best. So, and I, and I know that that's maybe like a more of a long-term thing that I can always circle back to. You know? Yeah. Well, maybe that has to do with the emotional intimacy piece, like trusting, talking to uh, your husband and then trusting the like a lot of emotions that come with having kids. Like maybe I feel like sometimes when you've been when you've been through a lot of like sexual and romantic situations where you're sort of checked out, it's hard to then go into a relationship like a marriage or like one with a child where like you said, you have problems with emotional intimacy, it's easier to just like shut down Mm, or not be present. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing that was interesting too was in in your bio, you talked about like not masturbating till quite recently. Yeah. What what was that situation? I mean, I was a 32-year-old woman who had never masturbated and didn't know that women did that. Whoa. (laughs) So how how old were you when you had that, when you went on that, you know, bachelorette party where you first started to finally talk about That was the year. You were 32? That was the year. I was 32. I was literally reading this book, like I mentioned, Pussy A Reclamation by Regina Thomashauer. She's like since been a mentor for us and has endorsed all of our sex and empowerment digital courses. And she's been hugely instrumental. I mean, she compl- this book completely changed my life and I'm not even a reader. So <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was, 
so eye-opening. And I just, everything that she said in that book just really hit me so hard. And we were called, we was a call-in book club. So we'd read a chapter and we call in on Friday and talk about it. And our conversations, like every woman had a different experience because we started the show with nine, nine of us from the book club, just basically hopping on and having the same conversations that we were having in the book club. And everyone had transformed so much by reading this book. But particularly my experience was I was starting from like the bottom of the barrel of sexuality and what it would look like to be in touch with my body and to experience pleasure that I give myself like the masturbation part. And and at the time, which was so crazy, is uh, that I had been in bed for almost eight months with a series of injuries. It started with a herniated, it started with a broken foot, then a herniated disc to a kidney stone to a concussion that I had the night before doing our first podcast. And I'm like a very healthy person. I'm a nurse, like caretaker. It was the first time in my life I ever had to receive care as a patient. And when I started masturbating, that was when my back pain started to get better. And I wasn't able to sit down for 14 weeks before this. And, and that's when I, that's when I really lit a fire under me of like masturbation is a health conversation. There's so many health benefits to it. So I'm kind of that person going out talking about masturbation, just making sure that everyone knows (laughs) how to do it, how to get yourself off. Like, you know, if there's any resistance to, to doing that, because there is like so many women that I've talked to didn't also didn't know one in five women in America masturbate. That's a very low percentage. I'm so curious, like what it was like for your relationship for you to be having this kind of transformation, you know, like you had already been with your husband for years at this point. And so had he been aware of how checked out you were when it came to sex? No, because Well, he was not aware when we first started dating, but as our relationship went on, my desire completely waned where I never really wanted to have sex. So at the point, I think when I discovered this, yes, I think that he was so grateful that I had entered this conversation because I was really starting to impact our our intimate life because I just I was just never really in the mood. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of at the point in our relationship where I was like, I... I like Will, but he can tell that I'm not that into it, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't like that to the point where one time when we were having sex, he literally like, I was looking out the window, thinking about what I was going to be doing for the rest of the day, just kind of waiting for it to be done. And he, I feel him stop and pull out and look at me. He's like, are you sure you even want to be doing this? Because I don't want to I don't want to do this if you don't, you know, like he's he's very loving and has been so amazing during this whole basically full circle transformation in my sexuality that I've experienced over these last five years. So I definitely have a better sense of humor. (laughs) Something that my husband has definitely noted. And I'm overall a happier person and my stress is lower. I don't worry as much about what people think about me. 
In fact, like I used to really care about what people thought about me. And now I really don't give a shit. (laughs) So you either like me or you don't. And I am here to be of service. And also I'm not going to overextend myself because that was another thing that I would do is I would just give and give and give because not only do I have this whole history, I'm a professional caregiver. I'm a nurse. So... I would go over and beyond for everyone in my life and not that they were taking advantage of me, but I had trained the people in my life to know that I was the one that would always show up and I'd always put myself on the back burner, but it's not like anyone knew that that was how I was operating. So a lot of things have changed since that moment in my life. My I was able to heal my back up. It was like I found the right doctor after that. It was just all these things really started to align for me and I really at that time at that bachelorette party wasn't experiencing a quality of life and had kind of accepted that that's how my life could be for the rest of my life. I could be in chronic pain forever. So it's a big moment. We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. And we're back. I think it's really inspiring that this happened while you were in a long term committed relationship. It shows that change is possible. It shows that you can make your life look like you want it to look without having to not have a partner or leave a partner that a partner can and should be supportive of this kind of like it's really it's really cool that this was like something that happened long term in a relationship and the narrative isn't like leave and be, you know, self-discovery and self-improvement and change and and realizations come at the cost of your relationship. You know, you don't really often ever hear that. Well, and I think that the biggest thing is that I took responsibility for my own pleasure. I'm someone who is really quick to blame. Like, I like to put the blame out there. And mm-hmm. it's something that I work on in therapy. I know you guys <laughs> talk a lot about therapy. And a lot of time, and and this was a moment where I chose to be responsible for my own pleasure. And now in doing that, I've been able to empower my partner and ask for what I want. Because all my partner wanted to do was give me what I wanted. But if you if I didn't know what I wanted, I didn't even thought about what I wanted. I didn't even know my own body. So it was, um, it's been huge for our relationship and he's been so incredibly supportive. He also mixes, mixes all of our episodes for the podcast and we have like (laughs) over 250 episodes. So he's very dedicated and has been super supportive of, um, me spreading this message and, uh, really going like pivoting my career and going in this direction. And part of that is like your training as a as a sex educator. And I'm wondering, you know, what do you think is really important to be a part of that education for teenagers? The one thing that I would say, as particularly, well, it starts even younger than teenagers. I'll get to teenagers, but we are born sexual beings. Like we're sexual beings in the womb. There's ultrasound evidence that self-pleasuring happens in the womb. I noticed it in my son at three to four months, which is normal, but you start to self-soothe in that way. That messaging, that implicit versus explicit messaging of being comfortable with your own body starts so early. So really being able to identify um, that 
you are able to call your organ. Like I, I tell parents not to call, not to make up names for your private parts, like ding dong or hoo-ha, because it, it creates this separation, this division, because you don't call your elbow something different. Uh, you call it an elbow because right. that's what it is. So it's it creates this division of this part is separate. This part is secret. This part is, you know, different than the rest of your body. And that creates shame. Mm-hmm direct, you know, directly, whether you're intent, intending to do it or not, you know, and that's why I talked about earlier about parents being comfortable with their bodies and their sexuality so that they can pass that on to their kids, you know? And so by the time you're a teenager, really, you know, experimenting and having the ability to express autonomy over your body, you know, I think if you have a self-pleasure practice, you're less likely to seek out pleasure from other people, because I think that a lot of a lot of young people think that and maybe not maybe not this generation, but my generation, <laughs> this generation is totally different. I'm so happy for them. Yeah, you know, right? it's so fluid. And like this just wasn't a thing when I when I was growing up. But the only way to really get pleasure was from a, a partner. Yeah. Whether or not that partner treated you well or not. Yeah, exactly. Like they would do things that felt good sometimes, right? And maybe that's what kept you around. And, you know, like just even a kiss. Like, I think that's what kept me around. Like I was like, oh, but they do really love me, you know, because I wasn't getting, I wasn't able to provide that for myself. So I highly recommend having a self-pleasure practice, especially as in a female body. And because for a male body, self-pleasure is so obvious the way that a a female body's organ is formed is like the clitoris is very hidden. Like if you're not shown what to do or talked to about what to do, you could totally miss it. Yeah. I did. I I just, I just, no shade. I just want to push back a little bit on female and male bodies just for anybody listening. It's really just if you have a penis or a vagina or Mm -hmm. I guess a vulva's What's the right one? Vulva? Vulva. I'm an expert over here. (laughs) Yeah. I just think like, yeah, anybody that has either, uh, you know, either one of those, it's really more about that rather than the whole, the whole body. And also, you know, it's interesting. We've talked to people who, when people say, oh, you're born a sexual being, it's so funny because we've talked to like asexual people on this show. So I don't know how they feel about that, but I totally understand what you meant when you're saying like, you know, I think people don't want to recognize that there is sexuality in children. I think people don't want to recognize that. I also wonder, I mean, if this is a stretch, but like, you know, if the child knows these these things about their body, are they able are they better able to recognize when someone is being inappropriate with them? I think that's yeah. a huge thing. Recognize and feel like they can talk to their parents and feel like they have the language to say Rather than like saying like so-and-so looked at, you know, and using like a fake word or something, they're able to like report like they they touched this part of me that, you know, they touched my penis. They touched my vulva, like to, yeah. to be more clear about like self-reporting to the parents or some or whoever about like, you know, abuse that might be going on. So I feel like that's, you know, that that's part of it, too. Yeah. And being and with you mentioned kids and not wanting to think a lot of people don't want to think about them as sexual beings like 
we're not, we can't put our adult lens on a child. Right. Because it's just their body. Right. And them being comfortable with their body and how their body is and what feels good to them and making that okay will lead to, oh, if someone touches them inappropriately, they report that yeah. in a way that is clear to them and also clear to the person that they're reporting it to, right? Yeah. So, I mean, even at this point, like my my son and I was the same way when I was little. He'll be on the playground. He's He wants to hug and kiss everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's COVID, you know? <laughs> and, but even without that, it's like you have to get permission. It's like, did you right. ask? Did you ask? Did you get consent? Did they say, okay, if they pushed you away, did you ask? And right. so those conversations start so young. So it's not that they're necessarily being sexual if they're touching themselves. It's really a self-soothing. Like they're learning how to self-soothe as, mm-hmm. as children. So, yeah, I was wondering if it's like, that we're all sexual beings or so much like we're all, we all have the ability to feel bodily pleasure yeah. through our genitals, which like yeah. feels different to me than sexual or in a way. Bodily mm-hmm. pleasure or bodily autonomy, even mm-hmm. feeling like you have control over if you get, let's say you like, I always think about like people who are, are queer are queer or, or gay or asexual and they only know that they have to be in a relationship and you have to have sex twice a week. And, or they have to be in a, a heterosexual relationship and no, and then they get this idea that like, well, no, no uh, women in relationships with men like sex or are having a good time. You know, it's like all these things where you talked about Gen Z, you know, all these things where like, I hope that Gen Z has access to more like, hey, I like that or I don't like that. Hey, actually, I want I, you didn't ask and, you know, things like like, I hope that people aren't still doing the whole like he pulled your hair or he, you know, kissed you without asking on the playground like oh that's so cute he's your future husband you know like I would hope oh, boys will be boys yeah, yeah I hope mm-hmm. that that I, I gotta hope that like Gen Z and Gen Alpha having kids will like not continue that narrative but I don't know <laughs> yeah and just speaking to to people who discover that they're asexual you know like that just still they still have the language to yeah. discover that right so and it's know not that that's that, okay and know that and they know have that control okay. over their bodies yeah even that yeah you know? yeah it just creates healthier people healthy happier people more knowledgeable more boundaries. educated people yeah exactly mm-hmm. I just like want to speak a little to people who struggle to feel pleasure in their body and like this idea of like well just spend time figuring it out and like maybe they've done that and like it still hasn't worked out for them do you know what I mean um and that like you know um it's not always so simple of like I read this one book and then I discover how to to enjoy sex in the way I've seen other people enjoy sex and that sort of thing and so you know also that like it is possible for sex to be pleasurable for people without it necessarily being so physically pleasurable if that makes sense like yeah some people just really enjoy the intimacy of of being connected with their partner of that being something that they only do with their partner of Mm -hmm. give you know there is power in like giving another person pleasure but I think sometimes you know for this anxious mind like the pressure of like you're not having a great orgasm like you just need to figure out how to do that and like Maybe you'll mm. never figure that out. And that's OK. <laughs> Even just I mean, what Katie's what Katie's speaking to is like options, like mm-hmm. just even knowing that there are options, right. even having the the concept of of 
there being options, which I, I do agree. I think from what I've seen of Gen Z, they are aware of that. And at least they have more media representation of that. But Allison, to speak to what you're talking about, like, yeah, no, this is not an autumn. Desire is not linear. And we don't want anyone to, to do anything that they don't want to do right with their bodies, right? Like just being able to have that conversation and accepting that they can't force themselves to have an orgasm. I feel like if, they, if they're having these struggles, it just puts more and more pressure on this need that, they're, that they want to have something and it means that there's something wrong with them that they can't. Right. Like I really thought there was something wrong with me when I started kind of unpacking all of this and being like, oh my gosh, there's something, something really wrong with me that like I'm not in into sex and and why and like all this stuff. So, I mean, this is like a short interview, but it's an unraveling over the last like 32 years of my life, you right. know, in particular, like the last five, which I did do a really concentrated deep dive into why. Right. So which a lot of people don't necessarily do. But I think being in a sex positive community and having the freedom to just explore these conversations, even if they're messy, is a really good place to start. And for me, I was, my needs, my like general needs weren't being met. So there was no room for me to tap into what I desired. And if you come out of that being like, hey, actually, I realized, you know, like I think like sex positive just means to me, at least more and more as I've gotten older, it's just like, whatever you want, man. Like, whatever whatever it looks good you want to kiss for a long time and that's good enough for you go for it you know what I mean like yeah I guess I just I often see the narrative being this woman's not tapped into her sexuality or this person but often with this narrative it's a woman not tapped into her sexuality she discovers herself and suddenly she's now having amazing sex having amazing orgasms like self-pleasuring all the time and I I just want to speak to like for some people you know a lot of people who are on antidepressants like that's they're Mm -hmm. never going to like if they stay on medication like they might never be able to get there for certain people who just like like they're just not it yeah they're not their bodies it can feel exhausting to be like well I just have to figure out how my body works and then you try and you try and you try and you can't figure it out you know so just like also allowing for the possibility of like there's other ways to to be sexual other than just like the physical sensations and like your genitalia like you know I just wanted to like speak a little bit to that too I think that's what sex positive should change to is just to be like that's the narrative you're talking about but like it should just speak to like oh I have all the information yeah and like and that it can look different for you like you you might go on this journey and be like it is too exhausting for me or I I feel like I keep failing trying to figure out my own body. Yeah. And therefore mm-hmm. it makes more sense for me just to figure out what type of intimacy I do like rather than figuring okay. out my own body, which I think can be really yeah, stressful that's all for the, some people. That's it's all also tied to intimacy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's super empowering for sure. That narrative switch. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I want to play a game show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations, um, where you can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. (laughs) And I just get to decide if I like your answer, if I hate your answer, if your answer inspires me in any way, it's not fair and it, but it is fun. 
Yeah, I don't know All these right. ahead of time either. So we're in this together. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of 13... Allison. <laughs> Sorry. And if you say 13 years, oh, Katie just had 13 year anniversary. Wow. Maybe I'm speaking to you. I know. Are you talking about me? They, okay. Well, you tell me. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Your okay. partner of 13 years is a cartoonist slash graphic artist okay. who has created a very popular graphic novel called Kitty in the Big Old City. <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist is a character named Kitty Bags who has a very distinctive look. While on an international book tour, your partner meets someone who looks exactly like Kitty Bags and ends up having sex with them because the whole experience is so surreal that for a moment they think they are having sex with their own creation. They're also pretty drunk. Would you stay with this cheater? What does kitty bags look like? I want to leave that to your imagination, but it is a very distinct look. Like up until that moment, your partner had never seen anyone who looked like kitty bags. So I have a question. So yeah, what yes. is what is their relationship structure? Like, have they had conversations where if they meet, do they have like a, a sex list? If they meet someone that they have permission from if their you partner. meet kitty bags, you are allowed to. <laughs> no, you are. You have uh, been monogamous up until this point. Oh, oh my God. My okay. just went in my eyes. Uh, oh, no. Okay. Well, here's the thing. I Did you watch the movie Ruby Sparks? Is that what happened? I watched that movie a long time ago. Okay. Well, in that movie, his creation like comes to life. I know. But these are still original. Okay. First of all, I love the idea of kitty bags and kitty in the big old city. Um, this is almost rivaling the, I forget what her purpose was, but the creation of Lacey Kingsley. Oh, you remember yeah, Lacey. One is Lacey Kingsley was a character that Allison came up with for hypotheticals that we haven't talked about in a while. And I just want to know how Lacey's doing. She was a, a high school rival, I believe. Yeah. Or yeah, she yeah. was someone oh, someone was. Yeah. So I almost thought because you invented this, I was like, is the twist going to be that Kitty is actually Lacey Kingsley? <laughs> I think yeah, I, I think you forgive the cheater. I think you stay with the cheater. Really? Yeah. What, how, what are the odds? Uh, I mean, okay, first of all, but did this person change their entire look to look like Kitty to seduce my partner? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, no, total fluke. They didn't. They've never even heard of Kitty in the big old city. <laughs> <laughs> did they use protection? Yes. Hmm. I don't know. Where was this? Bangkok. Oh, you got a bang in Bangkok. <laughs> Fuck. It's you right chose the, the one city with that in the name. But they're not. The, the person that looks like Kitty isn't from there. They were just traveling. Because I'm keeping it really ambiguous what Kitty looks like. I see. Okay. Uh, I would stay. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, I would have. I have like a zero tolerance policy for, for cheating. Yeah. But I... <laughs> I still might end up staying, but it would be really, it would be a long road to get there. I think um, I would need proof of how much they actually looked like kitty bags. Also, I then I, then what? Then I see kitty bags artwork all around my partner's oh, office. And I yeah. think of the time that they fucked kitty bags. That's tough. <laughs> Melissa's losing. Our, our producer is laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle it. 
handle it. If anyone would like to create some fan art for this show for Kitty in oh the Big God, Old City, please. Okay. please do. I've, I've gotten <laughs> fan art already from this thing I said on TikTok. So if you are someone who does fan art of us, please make fan art for Kitty in the Big Old City <laughs> and Kitty Bags. And then, and then also, if you want to draw what you think Lacey, Mo- uh, oh, not Lacey Mosley. No, Lacey. Lacey Kingsley. Lacey Mosley is an amazing actress and Lacey Kingsley looks nothing like her. So that's your starting point. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we're going to try to make it work, but it might fall apart. Yeah. Does that feel right? Agreed. Yeah. I think seeing the art around all the time would make it fall apart. Yeah. It's a constant reminder. But you are very rich because Kitty in the Big Old City is about to be turned into a feature film. And who's playing Kitty? Uh, it's animated. It's a graphic novel. God damn it. It's <laughs> do the voice. Yeah, who does I think the I voice? Know, I think I... <laughs> Katie's putting her hat in. Yeah, yeah. Katie's like, I would like to play Kitty Max. <laughs> the part is in Hollywood, everyone's putting in for it. Florence Pooh is putting in yeah, for it's it. It's a big Saoirse Ronan is putting in for it. Uh, Ariana DeBose put in a tape. Everybody's trying. Is it clear from the title that it's a supernatural tale? No, I was thinking that it was like... Because it is. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Oh, boy. Our next game. (laughs) Our producer can't get it together. (laughs) Okay. Are you a terrible parent? Your child... Okay. Seven. Okay. Is very advanced at reading. Nice. And keeps checking non-age-appropriate books out of the school library. Oh my god, this is me during as a class kid. trips. Hundred percent. In order to get them to stop doing this, you hide one of the books they borrowed, knowing that the penalty for not returning <gasps> a book to the school library <gasps> is to lose their library card. <gasps> Are you a terrible parent? Yes, this is the worst thing <laughs> yes. you could ever do. This is horrible. Do you know how hard it is to get a child who <laughs> likes reading? Absolutely not. Well, see, you're willing to go to the public library with them or to the bookstore. But when they go to the school library, no one's paying attention to what they're checking out because you're not with them. No. Okay. Let them check out whatever they want. Who cares? I read some crazy shit when I was. You have a lot of problems. Yeah. So (laughs) you think that's Judy Bloom's fault? I'm not talking about Judy Judy Bloom. Oh, my God. One book. A Tree Grows in Brooklyn was truly traumatizing. I They, like, have you read these things when you're, like, way too young to read them. But I I turned out fine. And I love reading. <laughs> this is bad, Katie. Not to mention that, like, you never had... The parent never had a conversation with the kid. The kid just thinks that they lost this book and it's all their yes. fault that they can't read what they want to read anymore and devastating you know, there's no devastating there's no conversation if, if you're gonna if you're gonna put some boundaries in place on what your kids can read I would say you need to at least talk to them about it and why they want to read these books and get it curious at least well that's a very reasonable answer so yeah. I guess in this scenario where you hide your children's library book you are a terrible parent terrible parent terrible <laughs> okay our final game Would you forgive this liar? You are a famous actor. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) While at dinner one night, your waitress recognized you and remarks that they absolutely love your work and have seen everything you've ever been in. You end up loving the restaurant and become a regular, which leads you to become actual friends with the waitress. Uh Uh-huh. 
One day when you were hanging out as buddies, you quote one of your most famous characters as a joke and realize that your new friend has no idea what you are talking about. It quickly becomes clear they have actually never seen any of your work and only knew you were famous because their coworker mentioned it when they were assigned to your table. Would you forgive this liar? How long have we been friends? Uh, two years. And in that time, they never thought to no, check out my never work? watched anything of yours. Why am I quoting my own film? As a goof. You think like Arnold Schwarzenegger goes around and is like, hasta la vista, baby. He probably I does. would, 100%. <laughs> If I had a catchphrase that the world knew, I'd be using that catchphrase constantly. You don't think hmm. you don't think you have catchphrases from this show? I use them constantly. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> wow. No, I'd be really sad. I'd be like, uh, they wanted to, they just tried to get close to me because I was famous. They didn't really care about my work. And they laid it on really thick when you first met them. I don't trust this person. <gasps> I know. I feel like the, the friendship is over because the whole friendship has really been a ruse, you know? Wow. Mm -hmm. Or has it? They've befriended you without even knowing your talent. No, but then why lie? Why lie up yeah, top? Because they wanted a big tip. No. And also, let me tell you something. Oh, God. If you're a famous person, leave a big tip anyway. Well, they don't know that. They don't know that you're going to do that. You do do that in this scenario. People, restaurant workers talk to each other. And I've heard, my sister's longtime restaurant worker, and I have heard, I know every actor who leaves big tips. And they talk to each other. And they Name know. one. Drew Carey. I always knew that's who you were going to. Keanu Reeves. That's the only one you know. No, Keanu Reeves also tips really well. What was the other one? There's a woman I can't remember, but she tips really well. There's, oh, cool. I can't remember who she <laughs> is. I only know one person who they said was, was a nightmare, but I don't want to say who it was. But it is an Oscar winner, nominee. Anyway, that narrows it down. Yeah. I also need to evaluate my friend choices. Like if I need to surround myself with someone who's only validates me for my work and yeah. that's like who I choose to spend my time with. Yeah. Like I feel like I have low self-esteem. Well, that's not why. You just happen. You happen to go to this restaurant. So you just saw them all yeah. the time. And you became friends. No, I don't want to be friends anymore. Hasta no. la vista, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have enough friends. Yeah. Yeah, you're a famous actor. You have a lot of friends. That's true. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for joining us. Where can people find out all the things that you do? Our Instagram is at Clit Talk Show. And if you're interested in learning more about your sex and sexuality and want some cliff notes on 250 episodes, and we have our free gift if you're interested in um, our No BS Guide to Sexual Intimacy, it's www.clittalkshow.com backslash guide. Nice. Amazing. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a blast. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking about Brittany Griner. Between us, it's time for topics. X, 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 baby. 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 Oh, we went out of order. Wild stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this topic um, needs some context for people who maybe aren't familiar with yeah. the situation. So WNBA star Brittany Griner, who I believe is also an Olympian, was in Russia in February in order to play for one of like the Russian teams because 
one of the issues that I'm sure we'll get into is that WNBA players are not paid enough. And so they're also forced to do other things um, on the off season. And so when they were in Russia, the Russian officials said or that they found some remains of like, yeah, of like marijuana hash. I don't know. Very minimal, tiny amounts of something in a vape cartridge and have had her detained since February because of that. This is a really big deal because basically she's being held for no reason. And mm-hmm. also there's the way that America is handling it in terms of like it, it raises some questions like if this had been LeBron James who right. was held in Russia, would, you know, the United States be doing more to get him back? Um, but because she's a female um, star athlete, we are not really paying much attention to it. Yeah. And so things that have happened since February, she's had to say that she was guilty in order to make her eligible to be traded traded for yeah. a prisoner that America is holding. But meanwhile, this is like an athlete who like didn't do anything wrong and Russia wants us to trade her for um, an arms dealer, (laughs) a very dangerous uh arms dealer that we have in custody. And so it just raises like a lot of geopolitical questions, social questions, racial questions um, that I think deserve to kind of be discussed. Initially, when this first started in February, a lot of I'm gay uh, and uh, we love the WNBA and um, a lot of friends of mine were posting about it. And then we started hearing back from, and this comes back to our conversation like a couple weeks ago about unintentional harm, we started hearing feedback saying, don't make this a big deal. Don't post about this. Don't make it seem like America really wants her back because then it will make her seem famous and then it will make Russia hold on to her longer and it will make Russia realize she's a bargaining chip. And so don't give this any attention. So then for like a month or so, a lot of people were like going on to other people's posts about it and saying, shh, Like, don't, 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 don't. Uh, We don't want Russia to know that she's popular. And so that was where I like heard about it first was people saying, don't talk about it. Then it seems like the longer it's gone on, now we've come back to realizing that tactic isn't really going to work. But initially it was this idea that we can't let the Russians know that we care. Because if they realize we care, they'll realize that they can trade her for an arms dealer. There's other people that have been in uh, custody in Russia for a long time. This guy, Paul Whelan, who's been there since 2018. Russia is a complicated, like, geopolitical situation with the U.S. Like, it's always sort of, it's horrible timing for Britney, too, because, like, usually our relationship with Russia is sort of, like, up and down. But then they had all of this uh, uh, unrest and invasion with Ukraine. And then largely the U.S. backed Ukraine. And then that made Russia even more pissed off. So it was this thing where now Russia is like not on our not we're not on good terms. So, yeah, we're on terrible terms with Russia. Yeah, they invaded a sovereign country, which rightfully so we're not on good terms with them. But that just like made everything escalate even more with these people that they've had. I, why the fuck have they had people from our country for more for years? Wh- where the hell has the the ambassadorship or the negotiations for those people gone? Why have we? Why is this? What the what the hell? Right. So that also brings up like as as much as it's like, well, if Brittany was um, a male NBA player, would we care more? It also brings up that like there's all these other people who are being held that we care about even less, and so it's really difficult. Like, yeah, I believe Paul Whelan was um, 
they like have him on charges of like espionage. Like but, it's like, so because wild. Because he's a former Marine, but there's like no proof of that at all. Yeah. And it's just this very difficult thing where also like, you know, there's this thing where I saw like right wing people being like, well, she's a black lesbian millionaire who like mate who like did something wrong. So sorry. And that her being black and her being lesbian are also huge parts of it. But this opinion is so hilarious to me because in a bad way, because it's like the people who like have offshore accounts and don't pay their taxes, like breaking the law literally all the time, like in order to be uh, someone with that level of wealth, like these are people that break the law all the time. And like that probably also like have vape cartridges currently on them. Like it's truly this wild lack of empathy that I just, you just see pops out whenever somebody is uh, not white. (laughs) But I do want to say like, it wasn't just right wing people doing that. And there, I mean, it's like right wing people that were first doing it. But when she was first arrested, I was seeing people that I follow saying things like, why was she over there? Why was she smoking weed over there? Oh blah, blah, without God. being informed of what the actual situation was. First of all, some of them have backtracked <laughs> since then, but like she was there to make money because they don't pay her here. Absolutely. And second of all, like it's weed. Like even it wasn't it's even weed. like actual weed. Yeah. It was just cartridges. Right. It's it's like in a lot of cases medicinal. So, I mean, that's just wild. But yes, the so the WNBA I've gone to games and the players are so good so incredible it is such a f- fucking downer the ways in which it is like denigrated and nobody like the attendance at the games like I, there's often these big pushes within the queer community to like please go see the WNBA, like go see the WNBA. This is like really important. And then you go and you have a fantastic time and you watch Vivica A. Fox scream at (laughs) the refs because she, I think, is sponsors one of the the LA Sparks, sort of. But it is this thing where women's sports is so ignored and underappreciated. And then they aren't, they aren't paid anything. And like, of course you have to take on these other gigs, but also- other athletes in other sports go and play in other countries on the off season. It's very common for male athletes, other athletes to go and play in Eastern Europe in particular during the off season. This is not something that's like, I mean, maybe people just don't keep up with it or don't know, but this is not something like, oh, she went over to Russia because she's like an idiot who doesn't understand the political situation. Like this is a thing that's been going on forever. Uh, our, Our Olympians, our Olympians, in sports like volleyball or soccer, go and play for like Yugoslavia. You know what I mean? Like they go and do that all the time because we don't. And this is the thing. We exploit athletes to the point that they only have X amount of years in order to be able to work at their peak performance, um, especially athletes that inv- are involved in contact sports. And so because they need to make the most money out of, you know, before their bodies literally fall apart from the level that we push them to, they do take these jobs in other countries or they do they do play themselves to death because they they know that once they hit a certain age, they're not going to be able to work. So this is like a pretty common thing and also speaks to the ways in which we just like take athlete bodies largely I will say largely black people, we take their bodies, we use them for our entertainment, we use them in sports, and then we discard them. (laughs) 
So this is like a very common situation. What do you think about like the U.S. response to it? Do you think that, I mean, because it's tricky, right? Because I guess the the counterpoint will be like, well, if we give in and we do anything possible to get her back, then like they'll just keep kidnapping our athletes or they'll keep kidnapping Americans. What do you think about like that argument? For me, this is something I don't know a lot about and I don't know how it works behind the scenes. So it's not something I'm comfortable giving an opinion on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you keep up with like a lot of sports stuff? Not recently. I used to really love sports and then recently I just haven't been keeping up with them. This is also, I want to say that like a lot of my opinions about minorities in sports come from a lot of conversations with Brittany Nichols, who is a very amazing TV writer and WNBA fan. Um, And then also an ex-boyfriend of mine uh, who was a volleyball player really talked a lot about the ways in which athletes are sort of pushed to the limit and then discarded or forced to go into dangerous situations. Like Brittany Griner was forced to go into this sort of like situation where she has to play at whatever place will have her because her career has a time limit on it. And then it's like the U.S. has does nothing to like protect anyone from that. And also what it's just so wild to me that like we are using human beings as bargaining chips across political lines. It's just so sad. And it's so like gross. And like, I don't know, like part of me is this hippy dippy thing where I'm just like, why do we have borders, man? Like, People are people. I don't know. I just feel like so it just feels so bananas to me that you can just like be scooped up and then like the whole like country and other country has to like use you as a bargaining chip as a human being. And I think like maybe it will encourage other countries to kidnap Americans, but also like why are we holding people? So what's your thoughts, Allison? I mean, I don't know. It's so it like I, I do believe that I strongly believe that if it had been a male athlete, I think that the response would have been different yeah. and quicker. And I, you know, like I, I do think like, you know, like what if it had been like LeBron James when he was actively playing? Like yeah. I think that like I think there is a lot of like sexism at work here in like that we undervalue female athletes. Because she's a superstar for the WNBA. Yeah, but the if it was LeBron James, the fan the, the fan base would go crazy because they need him on the court. They would be like upset about not getting another championship ring and the sponsors would go apeshit. Right. But in terms of just like the general idea of who do we trade to get our people back? It's yeah. so tricky because like we have an arms dealer who we know was a very dangerous arms right, dealer. Right. They have a basketball player with some vape cartridges and a guy who's not a spy that they say is a spy. Right. Like you know, like it, it's and and the the Russian legal system is is even more corrupt than our legal system. Mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. like these people, like if they arrest you, like you're going to jail. Like it's not like yeah. you're going to get a fair trial in Russia. No. And so I don't know. Like I, it, it's again like. I think it is this thing of like, I don't feel comfortable going to Russia now. Like I wouldn't go to oh, Russia. I've no, never felt of course not. So it's always these people that have these sort of innocuous jobs or like aren't, didn't really do anything. And they're used as bargaining chips to their families. You know, Brittany Griner's wife is like 
beside herself. And I, I, I can't even imagine being in her shoes. I really can't even imagine. Right. Because there's no answer. Like you don't know. There's no end point at this yeah. point. Yeah. There's no justice. It's not. You can't be like, oh, well, we're dealing with a rational that's system. So, that's like so. it's completely like just at the whim of what Putin wants. And like there's no there's no like justice there. No. Amanda Knox, too, is an example, was just like painted by the Italian government as this like whore who did this. And then there was like no ability for there was it was just like you just felt helpless. Like her, I think her family, she was held for so long. I think her family just felt really helpless, even though like, you know, the Italian government kind of knew pretty early on that it wasn't her. But yeah, I was in Italy when she was arrested. Weird time. Oh, my God. Yeah. Were you like, I got to go? No, I didn't understand what was happening because it was kind of they were just painting her. Her as like she definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's so hard because then it becomes this like xenophobic thing of like, don't travel. But like. There's just so many things at play. Just something I felt like it was important to acknowledge was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt I guess now the, the cat's out of the bag. But I just remembered in the very beginning it was like, don't don't give this a lot of attention because they don't we don't want them to know she's important. Although they could Google and see right. that she's important. That's, that, that, <laughs> that just didn't yeah, yeah. that didn't seem right. Like who was saying that? A lot of people. It just feels really helpless to read about. Like when you read about it. And I felt I remember feeling that way when I was really young with the Daniel Pearl thing, being like, just go get him. Like just go get him. But like you can't. Can't. It just snowballs into something even bigger. Yeah, exactly. And then it becomes this big mm-hmm. statement when you do when you do like lock them away or get rid of them or whatever. Like I'm like, just go in. Part of me is like, just send in like the army and just go get her. But then that gives them leeway to come invade here I and know, do the same thing. I know. I know. I'm not smart. Like I'm not like a, I'm not a strategist. I'm just like, I don't know, like barge in with like a hundred people. What are they gonna do? Same thing. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. That's why I'm not the Secretary of State because I would just get us into like like wars all the time. Yeah, that's the reason. <laughs> what do we rate this episode? I rate it 12 out of 13. Be kind to yourself and don't judge yourself for mistakes so harshly. Very succinct rating system. Yeah. (laughs) I will rate it 41 out of 37 awakenings at 32. Wow, a lot of numbers. That was a lot of numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I'll rate it 30 out of 29 just bringing light to different situations. Here's um a five-star Apple review just to make sure you guys leave them. Yay, glad you're still here. From Amy. Wow, I watched this on YouTube in middle school. You're still relatable and I love the pod. Okay, here's a nice one. From Quad Libertarian, Quad Libertarian. I assume you're a librarian. Gabby is hot, Allison is smart. What's not to love about this show? It's smart. It's funny. It's challenging. I love it. And anyone worth knowing will love it too. Shout out to... (laughs) Fuck you guys. Special shout out to Gabby's rant about comedy. 
It crystallized some things I had been thinking about and gave me a new perspective on the issue as well. 13 out of 12, hee hee ha ha, would listen and subscribe again. Okay, that is an unhinged, that's an unhinged um, review that nobody who doesn't listen to the show would would appreciate. I find that to be unhinged at all. I like that it's full of inside jokes, though. That I love when a review is an inside. It's, it's an inside. inside jokes. Yeah. yeah. So listen to all the episodes so that you'll understand the reviews. Also, <laughs> I am divisive. And people just have to understand that. Okay. So tune back in <laughs> next week. <laughs> we'll have another great episode. And thank you so much to Katie Roberts for being our guest. Also, to add to that Allison is smart, Gabby is hot. What would you like people to say about you, Melissa? Both. Both. <laughs> Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye. Forever. Yeah.